0: Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, this is Anne. I'm welcoming Alinda on today's episode, who is like all of us are. She is the wife of a sex addict. The reason why I wanted her to come on today is she had commented on one of the articles on btr.org. And if you don't know, every single podcast that we do is transcribed and turned into an article and put on btr.org. And we love people's comments there. So if you haven't gone to join the conversation, I welcome you to do that. And that's how I met Melinda. So welcome, Melinda.
1: Hi there. Thanks for having me.
0: Her comment was so insightful, she coined the phrase weaponizing codependency language. So let's start with your story, Melinda. How did your husband weaponize codependency language?
1: My husband revealed that he had been having an affair and later on revealed that he had been seeing a sex massage and also abusing porn. We entered into a process of trying to figure out what was going on. I understood that it was not my fault and that it was something that I felt like we can overcome together. He struggled a lot with all of it and ultimately showed that he couldn't meet me where I needed to be met so that I can recover from the betrayal. But for a period of time, he entered into 12-step and... He also actually, I should say, has been trained as a counselor. He's not a therapist now, but he was trained as one. And when we entered into therapy after the revelations of his betrayal, something kept coming up that was baffling to me. And it was reinforced by our therapist that somehow there was something in our dynamic that I was responsible for. And that that's sort of why he did what he did and was acting out in the way he was. I was trying to wrap my head around it, because I'm a person who takes a lot of responsibility for our own behavior and our own actions, but I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. I also have done a lot of work professionally understanding trauma, so I was already under a trauma orientation, thinking, I'm traumatized, why am I not getting understood here? Why does it keep coming back to something in my psychological makeup that's creating this dynamic of his acting out behavior?
0: Essentially, it was trying to get you to take some form of accountability for the situation.
1: Yes. I think it was only until later on where I kind of understood where this was coming when I started learning more about 12-step and codependency and what that means. Being like most people, I've just heard it being tossed around, but how therapists and some in the 12-step field think about codependency, I realized A lot of that thinking was entering into our process of healing that was damaging to me and neglected that his acting out was really... I've heard you use the term abuse, and I don't know if I want to use that term, but it was definitely abusive. And a lot of his behavior, aside from the sexual acting out, was passive-aggressive covert abuse.
0: Emotional abuse in the form of lies and manipulation and stuff like that, right?
1: Yeah, and a very charming facade and playful facade, a lot of it was very gaslighty as well. What I realized is that the codependency frame was a really great excuse for him to not take a responsibility. And I think throughout our relationship, we had had problems prior to this. And the problems, in my view, were not taking accountability for behavior, other kinds of behavior responsibilities. And when the word codependency or the concept of dependency came into our relationship, it just became another tool to gaslight me and deflect and not be accountable. And it was really confusing for a while because I am a person who wants to take accountability, but he was using it as a way to not actually address the harm he had caused.
0: There's that, and then it goes further than that. Because he's not just using it to avoid taking accountability for the harm that he's caused. He's also using it to try and pin it on you. And that's why I call that abuse. Because he is actively trying to harm you.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: I mean, he doesn't see it that way. He just thinks he's trying to get away with it. But that is the end result. The end result is that not only is he not taking accountability, but he's harming you even further by lying about your part.
1: Yeah, I became a scapegoat for many, many things. And this just allowed even more scapegoating, you know, his decisions to cheat and all the other stuff was part of that scapegoating. I didn't quite understand why this was happening. I was reading a lot of books on like how to help your partner heal and what does reconciliation look like? And I was bringing them to him and he kept coming up with, why don't you focus on yourself? And I'm thinking, I am. I'm focusing on what I need to allow you back into my life. And anytime I said, you know, your defensiveness is really hurting me and I don't trust you. You're not doing trustworthy things. You're not showing me boundaries that I need, et cetera. And he said, well, stop focusing on me and focus on yourself. It didn't make sense to me until I started looking to what kind of codependency tells people it tells them to focus on themselves and not on others, which sounds great. But in the hands of I think an abusive and exploitative person, it can really go awry.
0: Well, and also it's what they want you to do, they would like you to stop confronting them about their abusive behaviors. And so because that's what they want. They want you to quote unquote work on yourself, which to them means leave me alone. And to them also means don't hold me accountable for my abusive behaviors. So basically, let me do what I want.
1: And a lot of this is about thinking that you're controlling. And my orientation, philosophical and spiritual frame, I have a Christian background, but I have a more alignment with Buddhist mindfulness practices, as well as I've become more of a feminist, think about feminist psychology a lot more. I look at It in that frame and I see a lot of women being held responsible for men's behavior in the culture and I think that was just a natural extension of the woman is making me do this or even he intimated that the affair partner was the aggressor in this situation and that somehow she was this this temptress.
0: What could I do? She kissed me. I couldn't do anything about it, right?
1: So I'm always aware of that dynamic, of the gender dynamic. And our therapist played along with it. She was a new therapist. So that was sort of like the double trauma of facing the reality of his infidelity and all of that. And then a therapist taking that frame and reflecting it back in our supposedly safe setting.
0: It sounds like th- through the therapist, it sort of became an extension of the abuse. So let's go back to where you're being supportive I put that in air quotes, supportive in air quotes of his recovery. Did you ever attend 12-step or COSA, which is co-sex addicts? Did you ever attend either of those groups?
1: I did. And I'm in a city with a lot of progressive thinking. I felt COSA was a safe space. I guess it wasn't a strong presence of feeling like I had to align with being codependent. There were certainly women there who said they were and felt supportive in the city that I'm in. But I think what was striking to me the few times that I went, for instance, there's one woman who was agonizing over her partner who was holed up in the basement with the computer looking at porn and he wouldn't leave the house. And I hear her describing the story. And instead of her saying how angry and being indignant about how wrong that was and how inappropriate that was, she went back to, well, I'm just going to focus on myself, take care of myself. And I thought, are you allowing abuse in your home because it's easier because you don't know how to set the boundary or even draw a line? I just felt like she just caved into feeling Like she's beholden to the situation and must allow it to continue.
0: I think that happens a lot. Women don't know what to do and confronting it seems so difficult. And also the consequences of confronting it seems so difficult, like separation or divorce or other things seems like I can't do that. And so the I'll just focus on myself becomes a way for them to do something right? They feel like they're doing something without actually moving towards safety sometimes. But I think there's a lot of compassion in this stage for victims because it's difficult to know what to do. And also both choices are not good. Living with an abuser or divorcing an abuser. They're both. Not great choices. The best choice is if you could have him not be abusive anymore, which you have no control over. So I think that it's a way that victims try to empower themselves sometimes without facing difficult consequences. And I think that all of us kind of go through a stage like that. We can hold a space of compassion for ourselves when we were in that stage and others in that stage as they work through exactly what they need to feel safe because it takes time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I absolutely and certainly hold a lot of compassion for the different struggles along this process. I think the steps are valuable. Like they say, if you take what you need and leave the rest, and I certainly recognize that whatever I was doing in the situation was harming me and had to accept where he was in his path and that it was not in alignment with where I wanted to be. So that definitely took time and certainly thinking about what the steps were, what the steps recommend you reflect on were super helpful. What I found really helpful to how to reframe the codependency framework for me was what am I doing in this situation that is harming me? Just really allowing myself to feel how terrible the situation was. And that allowed me to move forward and put my boundaries up. So I think that's what I learned most from COSA is just thinking about boundaries and really processing what that means and realizing that I was not the kind of person who was going to say, well, I'm going to focus on making myself happy and let him have his life in our home and our relationship. That wasn't going to work for me. I could not abide by being in a relationship with a person who was really taking advantage of the situation, taking advantage of my compassion, my understanding, and really not supporting me and being a fair partner. So I think that the steps can be worthwhile. It needs to be balanced with some other frames. And so that's why I bring up thinking about gender and our women being encouraged to kind of look the other way and allow men's bad behavior and take responsibility for that. And just the message that we have to even help take care of them. And I think that can easily become exploited.
0: Absolutely. With this concept of codependency in your experience with sex addiction therapists, how did codependency cause therapy-induced trauma? Let's talk about that for a bit.
1: Yeah, we have not actually been to a sex addiction therapist. We had worked with mostly traditional therapists, marriage and family therapists.
0: A lot of the sex addiction therapists, they claim to know about betrayal trauma, but they don't actually practice it. They just under the table do codependency and call it betrayal trauma. And that is very dangerous. Sex addiction therapists don't really seem to understand it either. The best people seem to be abuse experts from what we've experienced.
1: I'm carefully looking for therapists. The experience of having a therapist, a therapist we'd been with for a long time, handling the situation left me with a lot of trauma and my hesitation to even find a new therapist. I have a lot of hesitation. I think it's this framework, and I think it's a framework that's part of a lot of therapy training and then with kind of the codependency woven into it is that it's a dance that you have a relationship dance and you each have a part and all of your stuff and his stuff and on one level yeah that's there but what our therapists fail to recognize like you said abuse abuse and trauma so fail to understand what abuse looks like what covert abuse looks like emotional abuse looks like that abusers can come into an office and look like the calmest, sweetest, most cooperative people. Well, you're the partner tearing her hair out and looking like a crazy woman in the office and just being very, very angry. Then you look like the one who's unhinged and angry. And our therapist did say, you know, if it wasn't for your dynamic, he wouldn't have cheated. And I later on realized, no, he has a terrible family background and I understand and it has nothing to do with with me I had to realize that it was part of his retaliation for me even having boundaries and expectations in our relationship of cooperation and accountability and instead of being cooperative and accountable he thought well she's no good she's been giving me a hard time here this more compliant woman might be better for me women on Pornhub
0: (laughs) Right. Which is what abusers want. I think that's really interesting. They would like to manipulate and I won't say beat down physically, but to the point where you comply. Right. That's the point of the abuse. And for therapists not to notice it. I think it's also really interesting in the like progressive communities, for example. And I tend to live in that world. So I'm not opposed to it, but because they're so let's forgive and let's be helpful and also let's protect victims that they can't quite separate out who the perpetrator and the victim is a lot of times. And so in an effort to be like politically correct or progressive or whatever, they end up throwing victims under the bus unknowingly. So, you'd think that they would understand abuse, but I have found that neither side understands it. Like conservatives and liberals, neither one of those groups really truly understand abuse.
1: Yes. I don't think therapists actually understand trauma and how to be trauma informed around the trail. She was trained to be even handed. You don't take sides. I've started to find more prominent therapists saying, actually, you can take sides. And thankfully, I found the work of Terry Reel who's kind of becoming more and more known for talking about exactly, I think what the dynamic is with men and women in these situations. And he does take sides and he does talk about the exploitative ends that men can go because they're so angry at women for holding them accountable. Yes. You take sides because there's a dynamic, a gendered dynamic. There's a male, female dynamic going on.
0: Neutrality only serves the perpetrator because neutrality is that both stories are of equal truth, right? There's two sides to the story and it serves the perpetrator because if they can say, Oh, well I did this, but she did this, then that's so much better to them. There's two options to them. The one option is, well we have this toxic dance it's a toxic relationship rather than saying i am the abuser there's that or some go as far to say as i didn't do anything wrong and she's the abuser so many victims are being accused of abuse themselves which is also super scary
1: yes and in fact in our therapy sessions and even my conversations with my spouse i said you know he betrayed me i said this to our therapist he betrayed me and she said well i think you've both betrayed each other and i thought what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I did not. And I've only have had loyalty and allegiance to our marriage and our family life together. So that was just red meat for him to kind of feed his victimhood.
0: I'm guessing the abuse got worse.
1: It just continued. The pattern of blaming me, being covertly abusive, gaslighting and love bombing, and then wondering why I was withdrawn and then blowing up at me for being withdrawn and just kept continuing. And as I saw this pattern over and over again of I'm holding my boundary, I'm saying very clearly what I need, what I expect. He couldn't get past that in my boundary. He tried love bombing. I love you. I love you. I love you. He tried all kinds of things. He wanted me to let go of what I knew in my heart was needed for us to have a healthy relationship for me to let go of expectations of him and by declaring his undying love and very grandiose gestures. And I wasn't going to accept it. I knew in my heart I needed something authentic.
0: Well, I find it really interesting. Like one woman, she said, okay, I'm going to file for divorce. She filed, he came back and said, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. And she said, okay, these are the things that you need to do. And he didn't do those things, but he would say the right things, right? So you can see very clearly from their actions. When their actions are not matching their words, that's manipulation. That's grooming. It's love bombing. It's not recovery, which is a totally different thing.
1: And of course, when I said here love bombing, he said, how do you judge me? You're judging me. And so I thought... I'm not going to get anywhere because I'm trying to call out and name the things that are not right in this situation, that are not working, with the desire to see things work, not to punish. And that was another accusation that I constantly faced that I was trying to punish and control and avoid my own problems by naming what was happening.
0: Well, the weird thing is, one of your own problems was that you were being abused. So you're clearly stating one of your own problems.
1: Women are using their voice and speaking up, and men have to listen. And a lot of our rage and our anger in these situations is that we're tired of being exploited or abused or taken advantage of. We're written off, we're told we're crazy, or we want to control everything. I think that we have to recognize kind of male entitlement in a lot of situations. I think that gets missed when we're just thinking about, well, women is punishing because she can't look at her own stuff, or she's controlling these situations because of her own trauma. And I think so many women out there are pretty self-reflective and pretty thoughtful, and women have been working on their own sort of self-healing for many, many years. Let's celebrate that and acknowledge that women have evolved a lot of good self-care and empowerment. And Abusive men need to have a lot more work around how to come along with us. I do think that the codependency models kind of holding women responsibly for their partner's alcoholism, that's just from another time. And I think women are doing their own healing. They've been doing it for a long time. I think we need to work on abusive men and their entitlement.
0: Well, and I love feminist theory. I'm a happy and unabashed and unapologetic feminist. And I think that radical feminism really is the only way to beat this by saying my opinions are just as important as yours. What I want in a marriage is just as important. And if what you want is someone who will just be quiet and look the other way, this marriage is not going to work for me. And I, as a woman, have the right to say that. And I have a right to set boundaries around it. And it's okay with me if that's not what you want. And if it's not, then have a nice life. So when I first got married, I really opposed, and I know a lot of listeners aren't, so I do not want to offend anyone right now, but I am extremely opposed to guns and motorcycles. And when I was dating my ex-husband now, I said to him, If you like guns and motorcycles, that is super cool for you, right? Like, I am so happy for you. That's great. I will not date you. So you just do your thing and shine on and live your life. And he told me, no, I don't ride motorcycles. I have before, but I won't. And I don't like guns. I'm not a gun person, right? And I was like, cool. Well, I found out later that was a complete and total lie and manipulation. So I tried to say really upfront, I was very obvious about it, what I wanted And he thought that he could kind of gaslight me around it rather than saying, oh, you know what? I love guns and motorcycles. We're probably not a good fit. Do you know what I mean? So same thing with a pornography. I don't want someone who will cheat and look at porn and lie and manipulate me. So if that's who you are, then shine on, right? You live your life just far away from me. And I think women are becoming empowered to the point where they can start saying that. The hard thing is, When the man looks like that person, when he manipulates you. And now I'm not dating, but if I go on a date, I would actually probably keep my opinions to myself because I don't want him to know what I think. I just want to know what he thinks. So I'd maybe say, How do you feel about guns without telling him what I thought so that I could hear what he thought just without knowing what I thought? Does that make sense? So that I can't be manipulated. So I think my dating strategy will be a lot more cautious and take it a lot slower and also not put everything out there while I'm getting to know the person because I don't want them to use it against me or to use it to manipulate me. I'm afraid of being groomed again. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, I think men in this world have to understand what we've been through and why we may come off as guarded or protective or suspicious. Despite our best intentions to be trusting and open-hearted, There's a lot that some of us have been through that makes that very difficult.
0: Well, and I think we've learned to look for what a trustworthy person looks like. And it takes time. You cannot determine that from a five-minute conversation or a 10-minute conversation. You can't determine it from one two-hour date. It takes years to figure out whether or not someone is a trustworthy person and experience. So taking our time is important. And had we done that before, we might not have even hit the nail on the head because we might not have known what we were looking for, but we know better now, which is awesome.
1: That's a great point. I think that's where I've arrived to really know clearly what I'm about. And when I see something that's disconnected or when I meet someone who's disconnected from that and isn't compatible I can see it more clearly. And that helps, I think, that you just know yourself better and can recognize somebody else that might be unhealthy for you. To your point of having the boundaries and being willing to say, you know, this isn't for me. This relationship isn't for me because, you know, you're doing you and it's not working for me. That I know not all women can do that. I know so many women are in these situations where they're trapped and for whatever reason and leaving is may feel worse than staying if they held their boundary. But for me, I found as I struggled, I know we have two children, you know, so leaving took a while. But once I was able to make the steps and started going and talking about it, just started talking about it, and then eventually found the logistical possibilities to make it happen to have him leave. That's when things really changed. He couldn't hide and manipulate me anymore because he wasn't around. I could stand more firmly and then he really had to reckon with himself. And so he is reckoning him with himself. Now I'm still not sure if that'll bring us back together.
0: Hopefully it will, right? The best case scenario is that he'll recognize his abusive behaviors and take accountability and make the changes that he needs to. That is the best case scenario. And that's what I hope for for all victims is restorative justice, where the relationship can be restored in a healthy way, because that's best for you. It's best for him. It's best for your children. But that remains to be seen, right? Whether or not he'll make those choices. Well, thank you so much, Melinda, for coming on today's podcast. I appreciate you sharing your story. And I just loved the word weaponizing. And so I want everybody to consider... In what ways do certain language, therapy language, shame is one of them. Shame is being weaponized really bad right now by addicts and therapists. So other types of situations where words are being used to further harm victims. So consider that. If you think of some, please go to the website find this article and comment just like Melinda did. We really appreciated her doing that. Thank you so much for coming on today's episode.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We've recently added some sessions to Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group. So make sure that you go to our website, btr.org. Go to daily support groups or Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group to check out the new session schedule. Also, we had a graphic designer make new little icons for us that match our logo and they're really cute. So go check out the website and uh, see the new changes there. It's really fun. We gotta take what we can get, right? So if icons are making me excited right now, great. Thank you to those of you who donate to this podcast to make this podcast possible. It enables me to teach women all over the world. As women find out, it's making sense to them and it's making a huge difference. It's really helping women get to safety and it's actually helping men change. And really, it's the only way out. There's no other way forward. So if this podcast is helpful to you, please make a recurring monthly donation. Go to btr.org, scroll down to the bottom and click on make a donation. Similarly, every single one of your ratings on iTunes or other podcast apps helps isolated women find us. So if you haven't yet, and you're so inclined, please rate the Betrayal Trauma Recovery podcast today.
1: And until next week, stay safe out there.